0: more fitting for my study this morning, I can preach to it, so let's read from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 through 12, let's hear the word of the Lord, finally all of you be like-minded and sympathetic, love one another and be compassionate and humble, not paying bad people for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary giving blessing since you were called for this so that you may endure it. For the one who wants to live, who wants to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and let his lips from speaking to deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord against those who do evil. This is the word of the Lord. The Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. We may have a There's going to be a this morning. To through our and first Peter. and um, I want to begin with this thought this morning. Maybe it's something that you've observed. It's certainly something that I observe, especially in my circles of being a pastor and seeing the sometimes the things that happen within the Christian evangelical or science reform worlds. Um, but perhaps you've encountered the same thing. like if, if, if I want you, I want Maybe you've encountered this. Uh, maybe a peculiar resistance towards embracing. that we're facing in the world. And I also want to say up front that I don't think that I entirely disagree My disobedience, wayward Israel, who is now in Babylon, who has abandoned the, the, my covenant promises. And he instructs him to go tell them without apology about their failure. And if he does not, he tells Jacob, he will be culpable for their sin as well. But there's a reality in which when we don't tell the truth, we are also putting ourselves in that camp of culpability in some sense, one way or the other. But I also want to make sure I say, and this is what I think the hardest text is going to say, is I don't think that we are, uh, that we need to throw the baby out of the bathwater, as it were, this word winsome, or this word is how we relate to our neighbors of, of doing good and cleaning evil. I don't think that is, these things we should assume. So I don't think that we have to say that it's wrong it's, it's for us to be gentle, patient, long suffering seeking the betterment, seeking the flourishing, seeking the blessing of our unbelieving neighbors at the same time and that that's sometimes another contrary to speaking the truth. And I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. I think sometimes we like to make them mutually exclusive and they're not mutually exclusive. And I think that because the Bible says very clearly that they're not mutually exclusive. And I think we're going to see a wonderful example of that in the text that we have before us today. And I believe this word Peter gives to us going to show us this beautiful marriage between how you and I live. Uh, these final words that Peter gives us about how these believers, how we with, are to live in a world where we're sojourned and exiles. Well, this is not our home. We're aliens here. And this is what the whole reason the series is called this, by aliens and exiles. Because this is what it is. It's by nature who we are. This is not our home, and, and the tension arises when we try to make it our home, I think we're believers. And, uh, but we must recognize that there's this beautiful marriage between who we are in Christ, our ultimate home, yet Living in the already but not yet sphere between the advent of Jesus, when so Jesus on the first time when Jesus returns again. So what we want to see in this passage, these first, these five verses, these, these final words of, of, of Peter's instruction to these believers about how to interact with the world as this new holy race that we talked about last week, um, or we noted last week, is this his main idea this morning. We living among the Gentiles, or living in the world during use that term, requires, I won't say it, winsome engagement. Don't be afraid of it. Okay, might a little dirty, it's okay, say it. Right? Um, it does require us to engage in a winsome way that seeks both to stand surely on the truth of the gospel and to live with sympathy and humility with believers and unbelievers. That's the main idea, right? right? To live among the Gentiles requires wisdom and gaze in this East, both substantially on the gospel, truth of the gospel, and to live with sympathy and humility among believers and unbelievers. That's the context here. So let's remind ourselves of where we are, okay? Always want to know what this text means in light of the rest of the text. I'm very committed to that when we read some scripture. In the context, this particular five verses we're going to dive into this morning, have a larger context of two fundamental concerns that Peter has been unpacking throughout the last several weeks of our study, the last several, um, yes, last several sermons through first Peter. And they are this, one, to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul, Peter says. So there's a real danger to Christians who live in a world where when we are bumping up and rubbing up against various aspects of the world, we're going to be uh, tempted. With the same desires that we see lived out in the world, and we're going to think of ways, because of our own, you know, sinful disposition, that sometimes is left over until Jesus makes it, you know, complete and whole in the end, right? Like there's only some part of us that says, "Wow, maybe that would be really nice, and maybe I can accommodate that into my life." So Peter says, "There's concern number one: abstain from sinful desires." Concern number two: keep your conduct honorable with the Gentiles. These are not mutually exclusive realities. For Peter in one reality, you have to do both. You must abstain from simple desires, and you must conduct yourself honorably. i.e. you must be engaged with unbelievers. You must be engaged with the world in some way, shape, or form. I, I don't think that Peter has any idea in, in his mind that Christians are to reserve or or retreat from the world, um, to in order to protect themselves from sinful things, but though it does require thoughtfulness, and intentionality and a lot of heart and a lot of prayer to go into the world as we know it, and yet at the same time stand against sin. It's a hard thing. I tend to think it's not gonna be a hard And so after he gives those instructions in chapter 2, verse 11, and 12 to abstain from sin and to uh and to conduct ourselves honorably among gentiles, he then goes into when we talk about these spheres of how Christians live, right? These typical spheres, these common spheres, and yeah. the spheres of a magistrate. And, and living in, in the civil realm, we've got the sphere of, of vocation, right? Slaves and masters, and we have the sphere of family, husbands, and wives. And we talked about those a little bit over the last few weeks. And now, though, he moves into his final words to Christians in light of these concerns. These he wants us to kind of put it all together for us. To think well about what it means to live out there. Not and and think the word venison is an appropriate word. I hope I'll be able to make that clear if you go through this text today, but in this first point. So my first point is this Yes, we are called sinners. Okay. Yes, we are called venison. Verse 8. Look what it says there. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, sympathetic, so love one another, be compassionate, and humble. Posture, if you will. Then you've got the emotional, the other side of that, that X there, right, that kind of works back towards the middle, the, the sympathy and the, and the compassion, the mercy that we to extend and live out with all the people, will live. and then the centerpiece is brotherly love. The reason why I want you to notice that this morning is because everything that would lead to scriptures drives back to brotherly love. They drive us back to the fraternity of mankind. And how we're engaged with one another in the, this human experiment. And so if you think about unity, you must think about it in the context of your relationship. If you think about humility, you must think about it in the context of your relationship. If you think about your sympathy, if you think about your compassion, they you must all come back to that center reality of uh, brotherly love. You see what I'm talking about there? If you look at the text, it's kind of how it the unfolds there. So one and five, unity, and humility, or mental commitments of the ones I mine will say. Sympathy and compassion are the representative emotional commitments of a winsome life, and then the centerpiece brother the love represents the interpersonal context of the winsome life. Let's unpack this one. Let's think about these these various ingredients here to help us see what this means for us. The mental commitments of a, of a life that is good and please evil, what I'm going to say is the mental commitments of a winsome life is unity and like-mindedness. Now. Um, the idea here is intentionality, to live in harmony with one another. Now, there are those who would say that Peter's first talking here in verse 8, to believers, and he talks to un- how he engages unbelievers in verse 9. I actually disagree with that, idea Because, again, the larger context has been flee, we'll conduct yourself with, with, with uh, uh, how you conduct yourself with unbelievers? So he has in mind here, our unity and our divine both touches on how you and I are unified as believers, but also how we would seek. Like-mindedness with our neighbors, those to whom we will probably disagree greatly on a, on a good manner of things. That final instruction has that in mind, and this seems like, a if you think about it that way, it seems like an enormously important text for us, and it's not especially in this moment, in this day is it? The idea, then, is to pursue uh like-mindedness and, and unity, is to pursue our neighbors, to pursue our willingness. that we say something clearly. To be at peace with our neighbor is not to be at peace with sin and destruction. Make sense? You can be at peace with your neighbor and not be at peace with And unite with them all the things that we can agree on that are good for the society as a whole. What we can do that it might be difficult, it might be increasingly more difficult, but that is possible. And, and friends, this is not this moment we live in right now is not the first time we face this. This has been Christians have facing this throughout human history. We need to recognize this. This is one blip on the radar screen. This is one blip in human history us recognize that we can, you know, you that however difficult it may be, we must try to do this. The aim of a Christian is not to dominate the moral faith per se, or to cower in subjugation to our unbelieving neighbors, but rather, as Bill Harrell, pastor in Virginia, says, to cultivate and exercise mutually beneficial gifts and graces in an orderly pleasing and fruitful way. You see that? We exercise, he says, and cultivate mutually beneficial gifts and graces in an orderly, and pleasing, and fruitful way. Now, so this will look various ways in different ways in different societies, and he and I can have we I can dive into what that looks like. But that is what the idea, the extent, the range of this is implied. The basic definition, then, and, and why I think winsome is an important. Because this, this idea that Bill Harold teases out in his commentary on this text on unity and like mindedness is, is essentially the definition of what it means to be winsome, And this is what it is. To be winsome is to be generally pleasing and engaging often because of a childlike charm or innocence. Or in other words, it is to win some to, to your truth. It's the same idea that Bill Harold trying to tease out in his commentary. He's not saying to please our neighbors is to appease our neighbors. But to live in such a way that people understand that we have a true love for them, a true engagement with them, a true desire for their good, and that we're not here seeking to take anything away from them or hurt them because they have certain rights. or we have all the different debates that we have going on in the world. Rather, it is to be charitable, have a charitable disposition that seeks to earn the opportunity to win them to the truth. You can be well-instructed in the truth of God. You may be well-instructed in the doctrine of God, but if you've not earned the right through a charitable disposition towards other neighbors, they have no interest in your truth. And so Peter has that in mind here for us, to have a unity and like-mindedness in our engagements with one another, in our engagements with our neighbors, such that it earns us the opportunity to win them to the truth of Jesus. And it is not what we see in the parable of the Samaritan. Who was the one who earned an audience with a man who was Uh, of, the, of the winsome life is the other side of the right, of humility, the other side of the point, per se. Humility on the other end of the medical side of the point is that we can't simply appear humble before our brothers and sisters or with, with our neighbors, but we must, we can't appear humble while having this kind of inner attitude of high ambition. In other words, But rather we must seek not to be easily offended when things that we see certainly are somewhat offensive or greatly offensive, not only to us, but to our God. We can speak to those things, surely, we should. But we walk in humility with people who know know that So that we might be. in the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and then he had, um, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and made him a name that is above every name so that every, um, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How do we help people bend their knee to that Jesus? Humble. apply some of these things in our own life. We you all know some ways you might instantly think about some ways you can do it differently or ways others can do it differently. We, we see that in our world. One example of course we, we say it often is just how we behave on social media. And frankly not only how we behave on social media, but who we watch behave on social media. And people and, and that say the name of Christ behave here about sympathy sympathy is not just feeling sorry for someone that's what we tend to think about when we're being sympathetic right just feel sorry we tend to be sorry for people who have found themselves in a difficult situation we tend to be sorry for people who um, maybe even can into greatest sin and error and we just want to, but want to feel sorry for them again. and what do we do when we feel sorry for someone well, we tend to um We must listen to their joys. We must listen to the praises of others. I'm thankful and I'm, I'm indebted, you guys know how indebted I am, to a woman named Pamela uh, Hall, because she's given me the opportunity to do some counseling on the side over the last several years. And she's given me and helped me see this side and helped sharpen this ability to listen, head, heart, and hands, right? To listen to people who are struggling, not with just my heart, that's kind of where I tend to go, some people lend to their heart to just all oh, mine, but we've got to be both together. We need to listen to all these things better. Romans 12, 15, Paul instructs us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep and mourn with those who weep or mourn. Our emotions matter. They're not there to be ignored. And I am afraid that. Most many of our experiences in here is that we tend to be a little bit scared of our emotions because our emotions tend to reveal something about you and I or about others. It's a little still unsettled or unresolved, and so therefore we tend to either either overly emotional, unhinged emotional, or like so so unemotionally stunted that we don't really know the value of what God has designed in the areas of emotion. And I'm not trying to give you a little emotion, but I do think that we need to at least know some basic things about so they can the heart of this idea of sympathy. what has been messed up in our own lives, so that we can then aspire to see and connect with that which is perfect in support of Jesus. And so when Peter says we must have sympathy and we must have compassion with our neighbors, he doesn't mean that Jesus is feeling, doesn't merely feel still sympathetic, that he is sympathy. And he's the one who's so sympathetic, so he so perfectly expresses that who is all sympathy, that he acts in battle and defeat. The, the power of Satan's sin and power in our life, he acts for us because he is the perfect God. We have compassion and we have sympathy in the midst of our relationship with one another. Not just mean feel sorry for one another. But so we help each other see the truth. We can learn to listen to one another, listen to our neighbors, not because we're trying to feel sorry for them or Trying to change our our perspectives on some things, but we're trying to help them. not a problem. So that others might experience and taste and see that it is good as well. That's what Philadelphos in Greek means, as opposed to agape. Philodelphas is this idea of brotherly ties, or is, is agape is, is, is a love without exception. Brotherly love says we cherish, we're designed for brotherly ties, and we tend to disregard this in human history. The first man came, disregarded this with his brother Abel. Who's my brother? The the ten older sons of Jacob, disregarded from with their only other brother Jacob. Jacob. Joseph, excuse me. We can so easily harbor malicious thoughts about others and toward others, um, both inside the body of Christ and those outside the body of Christ. And Lord, help us when the church needs its own. It's too much of that. The church needs its own. How is that going to help us engage the world? Right? We can differ, yes, we can have our own general base, but never let us forget it. The the importance of this fraternity, this brotherhood, and sisterhood here, is so that we may expand this fraternity to the rest of the mankind. So that's the first idea here, right? That we're called to this kind of witness. so intricately and connected in the way which we do engage. But there's also not We are not permitted to devour our enemies or each other. We are not permitted to devour our enemies and each other. We are not allowed to pay back evil with evil. This is not a fruit of the spirit. In case you're wondering, right? it's not. It's not a fruit of the spirit. We are not just fight like fire fire. We live in a world. We live in a world that's with individual rights more than our collective responsibility. And we, who, who can be better equipped for a communal responsibility than the church? Because we know that those honest it's bigger than us individually. You know that this church is bigger than any one person in here individually. And so who is better equipped to go out in the world to release help the world pull like, its grip off its own individual like, kind of autonomy and move them towards a communal responsibility and a kind of, I love of one another, who's better equipped Psalms, we'll see here in a few minutes, that's what he's doing, but we should want to see our community flourish. That is the idea about blessing upon blessing. Remember what we said many times before, when God created mankind, he created God's people in God's place to live under God's rule of blessing. That's part of God's creational design. And so, if we are going to be remaking the image of God, it must be something inside of us that is seeking to help others under the rule and blessing of God. So, as we're living and engaging with non believers, we must be seeking their good. And yes, the good is true. And sometimes the truth is Sometimes the truth is offensive. Well, I'd say, oh, in our case, in our But that's the technical. has obviously been like drifting in his studying the Psalms up this point, right? He uses kind of instruction in verse 8. He then counters it with a, kind of the opposite of it in verse 9. But he then now quotes directly in verses 10 through 12, a Psalm itself, Psalm 34, 12 through 16. This is Peter's just conveying to these people. He wants to be a good teacher of God's Word. He says, look, it's not just about what I'm saying to you. Like, this is what the Word continues to tell us the truth we get from the psalms themselves. Peter's concerned not only that the Christian blessed others, but that you and I receive the blessing that God has planned for us by his own giving hand. When we bless others, God blesses us. And that's not some prosperity gospel, you know, jargon. It's just true. Now we don't know exactly how God manifests it all the time, but when he blesses and we bless others, we can be sure that God blesses us, that he's holding us up Keeping us sure, or, and finally, most certainly, when Jesus kind of return, right? That's the blessing God has for us. You may, you may not notice in the context of 30, uh, Psalm 34, David's, um, uh, is, is David's future, the beginning of his future is from King Saul and first Samuel. And we know that when David has become an enemy to the, the throne, or an enemy of the state there because he was a threat to King Saul, Saul saw to begin his life when David went out and about. What how did David conduct his business even with an enemy of state With honor, even when he had the opportunity to to take taking Saul's life from behind him. Remember, when he was the cave. What did he do? He our and he and he used it to show him I have no intentions to harm you. Amen. I want your good king. We just want the same thing for our neighbors, our enemies, as well. And so here's Psalm 34. Let's just read it quickly. For the one who wants to love life will see good days. Exactly. Love and life is a good pursuit. You're doing a good thing when you pursue your love life. You're doing a good thing when you want to enjoy your life. You're doing a good thing when you want to live a quiet peace of the life. You're doing a good thing when you want to pursue a life that, that honors God and participates in his kingdom, yet seeks to live the ordinary, peaceable life. You're doing a good thing when you do things like David did. Again, David didn't like didn't long to end the, his king Saul's throne. He longed for fruitfulness, he longed for flourishing. He longed for honor. Because he knew who the he was. He was God.
1: And then it goes on and say, let him keep his
0: tongue from evil, lips from speaking deceit, or turn away from evil. David, the psalmist 34 here, tells us he didn't find it necessary to speak ill of his opponents or his enemies. I mean, he was hurt by the king's position towards him, but he didn't speak ill of him. He didn't find it necessary to speak half truths about the king who was after him or wanted to pursue his life. How often do we treat our enemies Or we try to discredit our enemies? But just half truth. Enough truth to show that we're trying to tell the truth, but not all the truth that actually might give us better context to what is actually going on. I mean, then, if that doesn't define the current, like, I mean, social media, blogosphere, whatever, that doesn't define that at all, or even TV altogether, we just give whatever part of truth that makes us look credible. That's not the Christian way. We keep ourselves away from tongues from evil or speaking, uh, speaking deceits. We turn away from evil. Be careful not to participate in And the last thing says, here in fact completes it, do what is good, seek peace and pursue it. Like 6A, what is the Lord requirement? me? justice, of mercy, what humbly God. I believe that the best expression about the Christian life.